So, Book of Philippians, we will see today. Now, this is an introduction to the Book of Philippians. So, we're only going to take the first 11 verses of the Book of Philippians today because I'm going to give you some background, some context, so that you can take uh, uh, notes and understanding where everything is taking place and who are the key players so far in the scripture that we will see today. So the first and most important that we need to start off with is the fact is in every single book of the Bible, we find Jesus in that book. And we see the characteristic of Jesus in that book. And today, of course, no different. In the book of Philippians, we see that Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, is our joy. So Christ Jesus is our joy, is the book of Philippians. And so when we look at this, we say, what is Philippians? And where is that? And who are they? Well, it's the town of Philippi, which is a city of Philip. And it was received, the name was received by, uh, after a name of Philip II of Macedon, the father of the great Alexandria, of the great, I should have been father of Alexandria the Great. And it, what drew their attention to that area is because it has a lot of gold in that area. So, of course, there's gold in those mountains. And, of course, drew people even back in those days. And sure enough, they established a place there in uh, Philippi, the city of Philip. They, uh, they created that and named it after Philip II. And then Philip conquered the region in the 4th century B.C. In the 2nd century B.C., Philippi became part of the Roman province of Macedonia. And that's where we get the city that we'll be talking about today that Paul, the apostle, went into to evangelize. Now, from a historical or theological perspective, Philippians is primarily a personal and a practical letter or book that is teaching, and its teaching and its tone is all very around a very practical and personal level because it's a personal letter to the believers in Philippi. Philippians contains a little bit of historical uh, material, but you'll notice there was no, um, no Old Testament quotes in the book of Philippians. There is a little bit of theological instruction, but contains mostly uh, profound and critical teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ himself in this letter. He shares his heart. He shares things to the believers in Philippi, and we gain great insight into who the Lord Jesus Christ is in the Bible. The major theme of this book is pursuing Christ-likeness. It's the overall teaching of this letter, this epistle, is about the expression of the central truth of living the joyful Christian life. That is what this letter is all about. So you'll see that theme about Paul is encouraging those believers in Philippi, and he encourages us by the power of the Holy Spirit today that we are to live a joyful Christian life. And there's only one way to do that, and we will see that in and through Paul's life as he teaches those in the believers in Philippi that the only way you can live that Christian joyful life is have a single-mindedness of keeping your eyes on Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There is no other way to have a joyful life other than keeping a single focus, a single-mindedness 
upon who Jesus Christ is in and through your life. Now, as we take a look at this, we saw that with this, this theme, Paul will emphasize to those believers to rejoice in Christ, to rejoice your relationship with him. We should be talking about it day and night. We should be telling everyone about our joy that we find is in Christ and Christ alone. And in our daily life, we see here, even in this this. This, this epistle, this, this letter, joy, the original language is kara, is, is used four times. Rejoices, charo, which is, occurs eight times, and the word glad occurs two times. But in spite of all of that, you have to keep in mind where this letter is written. Paul writes this letter. Paul the apostle, many do not argue at all the fact that he was the one that wrote this letter. But the question is not who it is as much as where was he when he wrote this letter? Was he sitting on the, 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 the sea and having a good time with his feet in, his hand, in the sand and writing that letter back to his friends in Philippi, enjoying life? No, he was in a Roman jail writing this in one of, of many uh, prison epistles that we know. And he wrote this to these believers in Philippi. So keep this in mind. The whole letter is filled with his joy that he has for these people and for his relationship with Christ. While his circumstances was the fact that he was waiting for the outcome of the judgment if he was going to die or not. And then handcuffed to prison of two guards in a prison. So you tell me, is that how you're living your life in Christ today? You have a little boo-boo and you think the life is coming all apart. Your joy is that. You, 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 I have joy because there's sun out yesterday. And all of a sudden the storm clouds. Oh, I'm not I'm too much joyful today. You know, It's like highs and lows through the day based on weather. See, that, that's not, that's not uh, uh, a single-minded single focus on Christ. Because even though he was in prison, it did not change the joy that he had within his life. Because he kept his mind not on the circumstances of his life, but on Christ and Christ alone. And that is a key for you and I to live a Christ-filled home or filled life. The secret of that, that secret of Paul's joy was that single-mindedness. He lived for Christ, as we will see, and he lived for the gospel. Christ is named 18 times in Philippians chapter 1 alone. And the gospel is mentioned six times in chapter 1 alone. You can tell what's from the person's heart and what their mind is set upon based on what comes out of their mouth and their actions and their behaviors and attitudes. You can see where their mind is focused upon. Paul writes in chapter 1 here in Philippians, verse 21, one that's quoted many times by many Christians. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. That is a very profound statement that you and I may say to someone or repeat, but do you live it? Do you live a life like Paul that is for me it's all about living for Christ. It's not living for this world. It's not living for the pleasures of the flesh or the pleasures of what others have to offer and to live for someone else and to follow other people. 
your life is so lived so focused upon Christ and Christ alone that is your Lord and Savior he directs every step he directs everywhere you go what you to do how to do it stop go do you live that life like that with the anticipation of what like Paul has I can't wait for the Lord to come back and take me home. He had, he understood when he died, when this, when he leaves this earth, he gains everything. He, there's nothing of this world is so important to him to hold on to. He just knows he's just one moment, one step away to be in the presence of the Lord. He gains everything as a child of God. Paul writes frequently in this epistle about the mind of a child of God. That's you and me. And he spokes and speaks to them there and to us that one's Christian living of life is truly a reflection of what occupies his or her mind. So he's going to encourage us all the way through here. What is your mind set upon? What are you pondering on? What grips you? What do you think of when you wake up in the morning? And what do you think of and who do you think of when you fall asleep? And throughout the day, who do you talk to the most? We will see in the life of Paul what we need to see in our own life as we continue to mature and grow in our relationship with Christ. It must be Christ, a single-mindedness upon him and what he wants us to do. Now, the purpose of this book of this letter that Paul writes to these uh, believers in Philippi, there are five. First, he wants to, to express in writing his thanks to the Philippians' gift that was sent to him. We'll see that in chapter 4. Second, he wanted the Philippians to know why he decided to return a man by the name of Epaphroditus to them so that they would not think his service to Paul had been unsatisfactory. We'll see that in chapter 2 because this group of believers sent down Epaphroditus down. He probably was a pastor with, with resources they had raised to send down to Paul to help him in the ministry, to help him encourage to do what God's called him to do. But during that time, we will see that this man becomes a vir of, uh, very sick, very, very sick, almost to death. And Paul says, you need to go back home because of this. And he didn't want them to think he rejected him and he wasn't doing what they sent him to do. But for, the, for his own sake, he needed to go back home because of the sickness. Thirdly, he wanted to inform them through this letter about his circumstances at Rome. We will see that, Lord willing, next week at the end of chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. And then fourthly, he wrote to exhort them into unity. Because as these believers were growing and as the church was growing there in Philippi, there become disunity because people were not keeping a single-minded focus upon Jesus. What unites you and I today is not our geographical location. Yes, that does in play because we're here, but there's many people could watch online and, and go through the website and, and, and have a relationship with us in other ways. But what keeps us in unity is our single focused mindedness on who is our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ, that's what unites us in our diversity. That's what unites us in our purpose and our focus of life. 
apart from him, we would not be together. We would be doing our own thing the way whatever the Lord and or, I mean whatever the world would tell us, whatever our flesh would tell us, whatever would Hollywood would tell us, we would you know, scatter about doing living life like everyone else in this world and spiraling out of control as we watch it around us. But we don't. We're united. And so he was warning them about bringing in unity because he was getting word that something was going, the, the tight-knit uh, unity of the church was starting to, to fragment. Why? Well, because he, his final warning to them is that we see in chapter 3, we see that he warns them against false teachers. False teachers were creeping into the church, starting to teach things that were contrary to the word of God. And so when you do that, he says, beware of false teachers, beware of these subtlenesses, be on high alert, because it will cause disunity within the body, and you need to make sure you deal with it. So we'll see these things that as he brings about. Why? Because these were loving, giving people. They helped him while he was in the ministry there, but now he's 800 miles away in a Roman prison all locked up, and they still showing love and still showing support, still you know, sending people and money and resources to help them within the ministry. It didn't matter about the distance. There's still this love for one another as being a child or children in the same family of God. There's a closeness, a unity, and love that needs to be there. And we must keep that unity and not let the world or our flesh cause division within that. In verses 1 through 11 here today in chapter 1, we're going to see true Christian fellowship is demonstrated by Paul in his love for the Philippian believers. Take note of his greeting to them, of his love and the unity or his demonstration of that true Christian fellowship that he's going to speak about here. And he thought about them and he had them in his heart and he had them in his prayers. Notice those three things that we will see. He had them in his thoughts all the time. He had them in his heart and he had them in his prayers. That is how we continue to have a true, close Christian fellowship is because of those three factors. Watch how he plays this out. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul here frequently starts his letters, as you know, as you read the Bible, starts his letters the same way. He, he, and he has such a love for the people that he has reached with the gospel as he continued to teach the word of God, as he continued to share and go his first missionary trip, his second missionary trip, third, and he went back out and he's writing letters. He's connecting and staying connected with these people because of the love that God has put on his heart for those people. He's willing to die for these people. He's willing to sacrifice for these people. He's willing to do whatever it is to encourage those people to continue to stay focused on Christ, to live a joyful Christian life. Because apart from that, you cannot. You wonder why you're so miserable and out of touch and it seems so empty and void. You need your mind to get back and focused on Christ and in that relationship, and watch the joy come back. Watch the peace that he's going to talk about. And it's exactly the same way that he's going to encourage the believers there in Philippi. 
But we see here Paul, the apostle Paul, you notice, and we'll notice it throughout his letter, he only uses his name Paul, which is his Gentile name. At no point does he use his Hebrew name is, uh, of Saul throughout there because he's speaking to the Gentiles. He's speaking to those in the Gentile world, and he uses his uh, name Paul to do that. And so from his, this Roman house arrest that uh, we see described in Acts 28, that's what he's speaking about in Acts 28, is this time right here. He was waiting for this court appearance before Caesar. And so based on that and based on traditional view that the, the book of Philippians is during a time when he wrote this, but also other uh, prison epistles. The, the, uh, the uh, letter to the Ephesians, to Colossians, and also to Philemon. So those three epistle, uh, prison epistles along with this one is during that same period of time, which is A.D. 60 to A.D. 62. We're right around at the very end of that imprisonment when he was looking to see what his outcome was going to be. Right around 61, that's when he wrote this letter to be sent back with Epaphroditus to go back there to let them know those five things we already highlighted for the purpose of the letter. Now, evidently, as we see here and we watch and read in Acts chapter 16, where we see where Paul went out into this area, we see that uh, the church of Philippi was founded by Paul 11 years before this letter um, uh, came about in his second missionary journey. Again, Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 40. This was the very first church established on the continent of Europe. Very first church in Europe was established right here in Philippi. And evidently, during this, this small population of Jews, there wasn't even, an, even 10 Jewish men who were ahead of their households. There were not even 10 household, Jewish households. Because if there was, then they established uh, uh, a synagogue. But there was no synagogue in that area. So that means there was less than 10 uh, head of households of Jewish households. So it was a small Jewish population, all predominant Gentiles. But notice if you go back and you read Acts chapter 16, there were some devout women that, who met outside the city at a place of prayer alongside the Ganges River. And Paul preached the gospel to these women. And one of them was Lydia, if you remember. Lydia was a wealthy merchant dealing in expensive purple dye goods that we see in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, and became a believer there in verse 14 and 15 of Acts 16. And it was more than likely, it was her house that had spacious, because she was wealthy, that brought the new believers together in the first home fellowship, our first church established in Philippi. And Paul was there ministering to whoever came into that house or near the water. It didn't matter. He was just teaching them. But also notice that he's writing this letter to all the saints of Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. He's not writing this letter just in generic to the community. He's writing only to those who are set apart, as we see. The, the word saints means to be set apart. It, it's only for those who have given their life to Jesus Christ. No other. The, the Greek word for saint is hagio, uh, hagio, which means to be set apart or to be worshipers of God. 
So many times people think, oh, can, don't you have to be a saint? Don't you have to be voted on by some committee and some religious system to become a sainthood? No, that is just religion. That's not, that's not scriptural. You're called a saint because you have given your life to Jesus Christ. You're a child of God. And because you're a child of God, because you, uh, you, you worship God, you're a saint. Now, sometimes you'll be in a group and you'll say, oh, I love you saints. And they'll say, oh, I'm not a saint. Well, when you say that, even though you think you're being humbled, what you're saying is, I'm not a worshiper of God. No, I'm not set apart for God's purpose. No, I don't have a focus on Jesus. I'm just playing religion. That's what you're saying when you say, I'm not a saint. Because the scripture says you're a saint if you're a true worshiper of God. If you truly are following Jesus, you are a saint in God's eyes. And so Paul has made it clear in his letter, oh, the saints, all of you who are worshipers of God, all of you who have been set apart, you've put your life on, 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 behind you and you've put Christ in front of you. He's also writing to the bishops. The bishops, in the Greek word there means overseer. It's also referred to as elders in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 and 7. But these were the religious leaders who were... Um, that were put in position when Paul left. They put overseers of the, the flock there. That's what it means to be an overseer or to be a bishop or to be an elder is to be a shepherd or a pastor over a flock. We see that in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 and 28. So they were responsible to take over what Paul was doing, is to teach the word of God, to faithfully teach and to shepherd and protect and to encourage the flock to continue to, to graze on the word of God, to graze on the, the truths and not to be deceived by wolves in sheep's clothing and not to be swayed by the, the, the winds of doctrines that were flying through even in those days, just like it is today. And so they were overseers. But we also see he was writing to the deacons as well. These are appointed as leaders to oversee the physical needs of the flock, to oversee and make sure these special, um, special service responsibilities of feeding and, and, and caring and, and, and watching over. We see that in Acts chapter 6. Now, I think it's significant that Paul highlights these three groups because I believe if he would have said, I'm writing this letter to all the saints, which is true, but he has to emphasize also the bishops and the deacons because it could happen where all of a sudden he's writing a letter and he's being very direct in the truth. It's easy for the saints to say, oh, the leaders at the, the bishops and the deacons, well, he's not talking to us. He's talking to all you saints. Now, that's different for us as being leaders. We don't have to do the same things that you have to do. Oh, we don't have to follow the same rules. We don't have to have the same life. No, no. It doesn't matter who you are. We're all equal. It just some are like myself and others who are appointed as elders are responsible. Matter of fact, are put at a higher responsibility and being looked upon by God and you'd be judged more harshly if we don't walk with a single-mindedness with Christ. He put, once you start teaching the word of God, God then holds you at a higher accountability. So he didn't want to make sure the elders or the bishops and the deacons could have some other work out some other deal and say, you know, like the Pharisees, right? Pharisees are a perfect example, right? Here they are telling them how the people were supposed to live, but they weren't living it themselves. 
Such hypocrisy in the leadership today. If we're not, of course not here, not of course in this community, but I'm talking other places, you know. Leaders have a tendency to think they're above everybody else. That is not true. They're to be servants of God. They're to be poured out their lives for people. And that's what God has called them to do and me to do. And it's only by, as he finishes there in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul understood. He made it very clear in his, his, this, 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 this very familiar greeting that he does in all of his letters. It's, only, it's about God's grace that comes from the Heavenly Father and the peace that comes from the fact of that relationship, that bridge that, through the, the, the relationship with Jesus Christ, his, his only begotten Son. Because he recognizes that you cannot have peace apart from grace. Always has to be grace first, then peace. You cannot have it the other way around. The order is very significant. Because if you really truly want to have genuine peace in your life, you must be a, have a personal response to God's grace, his unmerited favor manifested at Calvary. You have to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And once you've been born again, regenerated, then the peace of God comes into your life. Genuine peace. Now in verse 3, Paul gives thanks to the Philippian Christians here. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine. Now imagine that letter coming to the, to the believers. That Paul, while he's in prison, waiting for a death sentence, that he's sitting there writing a letter and says, I thank God for you every time a memory comes back in my mind. He didn't sit there and go to Philippi start a new work, lead people to Christ, get them all up and ready, put some overseers, some deacons in place, everything's structurally there, and says, see ya, and go on to his next conquer place. He still had a heart for those people, even though he wasn't even there at that time. He still had a love for them, and every time God brought them back, he would just cause them to be so thankful for the people that God brought in his life in Philippi. And in every time he remembered, he always talking to God about them, about what? Making requests for you with all with joy. I was just so joyful to ask God to bless you as people in Philippi. I was just so joyful to pray for the, of, of the people that God was bringing to memory and that God would raise them up and, 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 and help them to mature in their faith and, and, and raise up the boys and the girls that were dedicated, that they would raise up to be godly men and women. I can think of them when they were little kids now. They must be older. All these things just brought such joy to him. It wasn't something, oh, that was my past. I'm just going to you know, think only about the future of other people. But not only does he, those requests were made to God for those people, but for fellowship in the gospel from the very first day until now. He, 
He had such joy thinking about the fact that there's fellowship in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fellowship that we have here at Calvary Chapel is a blessing and brings great joy in my heart because there's such a fellowship in the gospel because we're so mind, so focused on Christ and serving Christ and helping people in Christ. That through this fellowship in the gospel, it happened from the very first day that he showed up in this town and started sharing the gospel. And one by one, they're getting saved. There was, right from the very beginning, there was this unity in the fellowship of the gospel. And then he encouraged them. Being confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's sitting there and going, I have such joy thinking about you. I think of you all the time. I'm making requests to God to bless you and take care and provide for you. I am so excited the fact that we are in unity in the fellowship of the gospel. We're like-minded. We're just focusing on the Lord. And oh, by the way, I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters. God has started a work in you. And I am so confident that God is going to be faithful and complete that work in you that he started. We can be that same confidence. We can read this and say, God has started a work in me, and I know I messed up. I still messed up. I still I know I need God's work in me. But God is going to be faithfully complete this work. And he's going to complete it. And we know when it's going to happen, when it says right here at the very end there, and until the day of Jesus Christ. It's referring to, it's referencing, and it's in context, it's the idea of the second coming of Christ. Jesus is coming back, and during our resurrection with him, he is going to make us complete. It's a guarantee that God is doing a good work in you. And that God is going to finish that good work in you. We, regardless of how we feel today, regardless of the mistakes we made yesterday, and we'll probably make today and tomorrow. But keep on your focus on the grace of God that he has saved you because you put your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. It's a gift. You received that gift. And he has sealed you with the Holy Spirit God himself, the Holy Spirit, has sealed you for eternity and he's doing a work in your life and he's coming back for you and I. And we will be complete. After working yesterday in the garden, I'm telling you, and working around the houses, I can't wait for the new body. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm using muscles I haven't been using it for a while, I guess. I don't know, or just too much of it. But I can't wait for the new body, I'll tell you. That's <laughs> when I get older. But he says here, I think... I thank my God upon every remembrance. I make requests to you. I recognize our fellowship is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that you have partnered with me from the very beginning. And you've partnered with me. You've helped me with your friendship, your financial support. You've helped me in the ministry to be able to continue to go out and to, to minister to you and to minister to those around that God sends me. That's how it works. And he was so so thankful and so grateful. In verse 7, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains in, and in the defense and in confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. 
For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. I just, I just love this. The heart of a pastor is just the love for his people. To express how much he loves. And I can't tell you how much I love you. And if I haven't personally had the opportunity to be engaged in eye to eye, to tell you how much I love you, I'm telling you that we pray unceasingly for each and every one who comes here. It doesn't matter how long you've been here or how long, how many times you've come and gone and whatever may be, and knowing the fact that you're only here for two years and the military takes you on. I continue and we continue to pray for people that have been here, hundreds of people that God has brought through here over the last eight years. We pray for them and continue to reach out and people reach out and call and, Pastor, can you help me? Pastor, can you pray for me? We've got people all over the world today. I can't tell you how blessed I am in words of the amount of people that God has brought in and through this little fellowship that started with just two families, Pastor Rich and, and Heather and Kathleen and myself and, and Heather, our daughter. That was it when we started back in 2011. And hundreds of people have come through here. And now we still have relationships with all these people and they stay in contact with us. So I know Paul's, even though Paul's not there in Philippi, I understand the fact that he's so far away and they're so far away. He still has such a love for them. Now we Facebook it. We don't write a letter anymore and ask a courier to send it. We get on a Facebook and, 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 and uh, Instagram and, and, and emails and we just text everybody. It's amazing the connection and be able to share our love that we still have with them. Are we? Are you? Are you staying connected with them? Because as we see, we're, we're connected in the fellowship of the gospel. But we see Paul's just heart is just, just being so open and so tender and so loving in his greeting here and communicating to these believers back there, encouraging them, letting them know that they are partakers with him in grace. It's the grace of God. We're all together in a partnership. And for God is his witness. He was so easy to be able to tell him what was going on in his heart. Now in verse 9 we see, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are ex excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So we here see at the very end of uh, the, the verses today, we see in verses 9, 10, 11, two prayers that he actually tells us what, based on verse 3, he, when he says, I thank my God upon every, or I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. What was coming back in his remembrance? What was he lifting up in prayer? Well, we see it right here, verses 9 and 10. He's going to tell him, he's going he's to pray in prayer for, for love for the people. In verse 11, he's going to pray, his prayer is for the fruit of righteousness for these people. Look at what he says there. This I pray, that love may abound still more and more. He wanted the, the love that he witnessed and he experienced from these people of their giving and their support and their encouragement in the ministry. He says, your love is so much, but I continue to pray for you. Your love will even pour out even more. Why? Because Paul knew that the love that they had was not coming from their own 
their own feelings or their own stirring up. They knew it was the, because God was dominating their life and the fruit that was bearing from their life, walking with Christ, was the fruit of, of love. He says, I pray that, that this love that will just still abound more and more. It'll be like a rimming waters flowing from your life that will just pour out and touch everyone around your life. Because it's affected me. It's changed my life in that relationship with you. I can imagine how it's pouring out and affecting everyone else there in the area of the community of Philippi. But he also said, I don't want it to be based just on feelings. I don't want this love to be a, an empty love that didn't have. It's like a blind love. You're just blindly loving me because we're all consider or call ourselves Christians. That's not what he's saying here. He defines that love. He says, I want it to abound, but I also want it to be abound more in knowledge and also all discernment. So he says, I don't want this blind love. I want you this love that had knowledge and discernment, that it was a love that could, could be proved the things that are excellent. I want you to have a love for me because you see what God is doing. You, can, you know the knowledge. You understand the scriptures. You understand the truths. You can look at my life and you can say, yes, that your life is, Paul's life is based upon the truths of God. And you have discernment from God. So you can discern if Paul was doing what is good and right, or he refers to as excellent. And it's so true today. We, people so many times will send emails or letters in the mail or they'll come to the church or whatever and they'll say, you're a Christian so you must give me money. Because if you're not a Christian, you, you don't have love, then you won't, you, you'll, you, you're obviously not going to give me any money if you're, not, if, if you're not right with God. It's all kinds of manipulation that goes on in and around these religious systems. Many people will call. If you're poor and want nothing to do with God, who, where do you think they'll call? They'll call churches. And one by one, I've had them happen where they'll call and say, they'll start their spiel and say, you just called me five minutes ago. Because they're going down the list of churches just to find someone who will give them money. So God, what Paul's saying to the believers and what God is saying to you and I, we must have knowledge and discernment before we just give money or do and sacrifice and do things. You've got to put it in perspective. Say, well, is this, a, you know, God, is this what you're calling me to do? Give me some knowledge. Give me discernment of how to serve and to give and to sacrifice for those in the, in, in, as believers. What do I need to do? Or to non-believers. And God, the Holy Spirit, will give you that discernment, give you that wisdom of when and how to be able to, to do what he wants you to do. And that's what he's saying. Don't be blind about these things. God has given you a knowledge. God gives you discernment. God will give you the peace to say yes and move forward or not. Because there's many para, para ministries out there who want your money. And some of them are great ministries. One of them that we support that comes from the tithes and gifts and offerings goes to CareNet. They're solidly focused on Christ. They're solidly focused on the work of Christ. We, free, we know with knowledge and discernment that is a place where we want to give the, the, the money that God brings in through this ministry to help that ministry, not only in works, but in prayer, but also financially because they're doing the work of God. They're saving lives. 
But there's some, when they write to me, I just check them out, and they don't use the money wisely. They use it on themselves. They don't use it on what God, they say they're using it for, and you have to do it wisely. It's important, just as Paul says here. Verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ, uh, Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. So Paul also prayed here that the believers in the church of Philippi would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. A righteousness stand before God resulting from being clothed in Christ's righteousness. Now just like in verses 9 and 10, there's this, you are to, to, he's praying and asking the people to, to, to live a life that has a, a sincere life, a, a prayer life, that, or a sincere life, which is speaking of an inner righteousness in the person. And he also talked about without offense, meaning your life should reflect. If you're walking in Christ and you're walking before him and you're being guided, your steps are being guided, inwardly you will have a sincere love. You will have an inward righteousness that is sincere. It's, it's a part of your a core of who you are that God is, is doing a work in you. But the, also the other part is without offense, meaning how you live your life, that people see your life, you shouldn't be offensive. You shouldn't come across offensive. You shouldn't be this hard, offensive person that people see in your life because it should reflect a fruit of righteousness. It should reflect a true sincerity inside. It should then reflect a true godliness on the outside of love that's what he's saying here and then verse 11 where he's talking about the fruit of righteousness we see in galatians those inner qualities in chapter 5 because as god does a work in you and he's changing you from within it's like a tree all of a sudden fruit in these branches are going to start bear fruit of righteousness and then that fruit is not for you and for me that fruit is actually for others around you to partake of in your life. That's the giving. That's the pouring out. That is the, that is the refreshment to those around you. That is what helps feed the souls of other people of what God is doing in and through you. And what is that? It can only be what God gives you. It's only what God has brought forth through your life because you're so single-focused-minded on Christ and here, your relationship with him. And as he develops and, and changes you inwardly, people get to partake of that fruit outwardly. And he's saying to them, bearing the fruit means abiding in Christ. John 15, 4 through 6. You must abide, hold tight to Christ. And when you abide in him, it means that his life is lived out through you. If your God is not living through you, you need to spend some time checking to see if you are abided in him. Let me say that again. If you don't, and people don't see Christ working through you, you need to check if you're abiding in him. Because if you're abiding in him, it's only a matter of time fruit will be produced. Amen? 
And what happens when that happens? Notice at the very end here, the glory and the praise goes to God and God alone. You're not going to look for the praise. You're not looking for glory. You're not looking for your name put in lights. You're not looking for people to talk about you and make sure your likes go up on your name on Facebook and more followers and blah, blah, blah. No, no. God gets all the glory and praise. The only hits you want to see happen in the social media, in the minds of people, a prayer to God. The sweet-selling aroma is from his people to his ears. That's what we want to have, more people worshiping God than ever before. Amen? That's, again, I'll say it again. The more we see people worshiping God, that's the likes we like. That's the praise and honor we like because we see God being honored and glorified in all that we say and do. Amen? As we come to the table, if God has spoken to your heart today that you are not abiding in him, you have you kind of drifted off. You've kind of put the scriptures aside. You, you just hasn't really, you could take or leave church fellowship in the gospel with like believers. You could, eh, you know, take or leave. It's fine once in a while. I assure you, you need to abide. Hold on tight. Become single focused. A purpose of life is on Christ. Seek first his, right, his righteousness, right? You're, you have to seek first him. And when you first seek him and his righteousness, all these other things will be added unto your life. Everything else in your life to give you balance will come into balance because everything is pivotal and everything is plumbed. Everything is based upon the cornerstone of your life. And I assure you, watch things get realigned back to the true north, right? Simple. Not always easy. <laughs> Not always easy. But he says, come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, heavy laden. You're just really messed up right now in your mind. Physically, mentally, spiritually. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Who else can give you that promise? And who can fulfill that promise? A lot of people give you those promises, but they can't fulfill it. Only God can fulfill that promise for you and for me.